Wyndham Clark won the U.S. Open, but L.A. and the USGA were the big losers from the weekend. Former PGA pro Brad Frisch joins me for today's episode of Ovius and Gilio live from the Eford Studios in downtown Raleigh. And we've got a lot of golf to get to. And you're not going to want to miss this first ballot Hall of Fame question in today's Hey Joe. So let's get it. Uh, here we go again. We know y'all be listening. The OG back and better than it's ever been. Blast from the past, you know that our pace is fast. And if you want to sub, we got something for you to smash. Five stars with them positive vibes. Don't miss a beat week to week, you just gotta subscribe. Even if your team's got you hella mad, don't worry, we write our prescriptions on a yellow pad. So settle in, y'all, this is gonna be fun. Cause when it comes to hot takes, two is better than one. From beard to the canes to the ACC. Who knows more about this than us, the OG? All right, another U.S. Open is in the books. I'm Joe Chilio, joined today by Brad Frisch, a man who's played in two U.S. Opens. And Brad, in 10 years, what will we remember from the U.S. Open at the Los Angeles Country Club that Wyndham Clark ends up getting his first major title in yesterday with a one-shot win over Roy McIlroy, which, you know, down the stretch there, Seemed like he was he had some jitters, had some bogeys, but it never really seemed like Rory was was in position to seize this thing from young Wyndham. Yeah, I think in in 10 years, you'll just remember the champ. Uh, there were a few challengers that looked like they had a chance, but ultimately yesterday, nobody really made any any putts. Um if you watched closely, so many putts just died right at the hole, either just short or broke away at the end. I think that was maybe a strategic uh, a strategic ploy by the USGA, make it a little more difficult based on the scores from the first couple of days. I think in, I think in 10 years, we'll, we'll talk about LACC being uh, asked to host for the first time ever and it not going over super well. And then maybe some changes made as a result of that, whether it be number of tickets, fan access, um, overall atmosphere because the whole the whole atmosphere basically was pretty dead for a u.s open and uh it, it was it was disappointing because this one was hyped up because of the the history the legacy of the golf course everyone was excited to see the renovation uh kind of back to old old school golf and i don't know it's very I'm, I'm i'm very up in the air about a lot of things about this u.s open uh but one thing was that the the champion played well he he held his ground at the end like you said he had a couple bogeys coming in who didn't but man for for his first major um second win in five or six weeks his only two tour wins of his career uh pretty impressive to hold off the leaderboard that he did i'm, I'm probably need to readjust how i think about the u.s open because in terms of when we think about the U.S. Open, we usually think tight fairways. We think tall, rough. We think super fast green. Maybe some cra- there's usually a crazy day with pin placements, right? But if you look at who's been winning these things, save for Matt Fitzpatrick last year, it feels like it's becoming the bombers who are winning this thing. And, and Wyndham is one of the longest hitters on the tour. I consider him a bomber. It was not the first name who came to my mind when you had given me the stat about the average width of the fairways this week, which was very un-US Open-like. And I, I was having a hard time wrapping my brain around that. 
that that's not what we think of the wide fairways. We don't think of that as a U.S. Open. Then you throw in the lack of fans, which was by design because this is a this is a snooty country club in L.A., which somehow still exists. I have no idea how it was not developed. Right? Like, yeah, what's Landworth? How do they have these uh, three six... courses in downtown LA? Like, it makes no sense to me. They said the land was worth six point five billion if they developed it. That's uh, easy. That's a chunk of change. I think yeah. for the two hundred fifty thousand dollar initiation fee, that's a pretty good return on your yeah. investment if you sell it. There, there's definitely some cockamamie rules for that place, and we'll get to that. But you know, to me, the U.S. Open is supposed. To, I mean, I'm not trying to be of the people, for the people, by the people. But I mean, there is something too having your national championship be open as it is to all golfers as it should be to fans and and the atmosphere i think and you tell me because you've played on the tour and you've played in these majors and you you know the difference between you know the Wyndham championship and the and the US Open you you played in those things and you know but it just feels like to me like a, a major they should be they should be like rolling out the red carpet for the fans because that's why you want to win those events other than the, the gigantic purse is the crowds and, and the history and the moments. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, you see with the masters a little bit of a different story, but they've done such a good job in cultivating the mystique of Augusta national and, and the fan lottery and, and what you can do with your tickets for the masters. If you somehow pawn them off on a, on a secondhand site, you're in danger of losing your access yes. for the rest of your life, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, you know, the two that I played were very different. Wing foot is a, it's a small footprint on its own, but it also has another golf course that you can kind of build off on, which is what happened. Um, if you need to take a circuitous route from one hole to another, you can do it because there's room on that other course to kind of traverse the whole property. LACC was, as you saw from the overheads, very, very contained, not easy to get around. It reminded me a little bit, not the size of Chambers Bay, because the size of Chambers Bay was massive, but it was hard to get around. And you could kind of see that on, I think, 15, you know, one of the, not a pivotal hole in the tournament, but a fun hole to watch. You were either in the grandstand on the tee, or you were 40, 50 yards away from the green. And that was it. And so guys who were hitting it close on Saturday or Clark made bogey on Sunday, there wasn't really much reaction. Uh, it was just an odd, it was an odd setup. And I'm not sure what they would do different if they could do it again. Uh, because again, the the footprint of the golf course is pretty small. Um, yeah, we'll talk about the rules later. Those are kind of funny. It happens. Um, but the the golf course as a whole, like I didn't think it showed poorly. I thought down the stretch 16 17 18 were bears and i and they had a chance uh you know you could birdie 18 16 and 17 16 you could birdie 17 i didn't see any way to get it close yesterday it was more of a bogey hole than a birdie hole but um this was a golf course where you had to make your hay early like the front nine they said rory was 10 under i believe uh or 12 under i think on the front and two over on the back total so Something like that as he entered the uh, the back nine yesterday. So it was very much a how many birdies can you make on the front and then hold on on, on the back, which is fine for U.S. Open. Uh, but to your point about U.S. Open and how it's changed a little bit, look who we grew up watching. Curtis Strange won two. Payne Stewart won Payne two. Stewart. Lee Jansen won two. Those are all 80s and 90s. Yeah. And then 
I guess Payne Stewart won in the two. No, he won in the nineties. And, and then as they get into the two thousands, it becomes Tiger Woods, Brooks Kepka, Gary Woodland, John Rahm, uh, Wyndham Clark as a bomber. DeChambeau. DeChambeau. I think it's more like who's not a bomber. Mm-hmm. You go up and down the list of guys who don't hit at 300 yards. It's a small list. So it's the guys it's basically who. basically Matt Kuchar at this point. Yeah, exactly. That's the like exact <laughs> name that came to mind. Um, you know, even a Colin Morikawa will, will carry it 280 to 285 yards. And he's a slight guy uh, who doesn't swing it near as fast as most of the PGA tour. Uh, so I think it's just the guys who are the outliers, the guys who can fly at 320, 330 if they're pumped up, uh, guys like Rory just have a better chance of winning. And those kind of just kind of triangulate at yeah. the top, especially in the, the, the biggest events, the best players in the world are super long. Even Scotty Scheffler, a buddy of mine who used to play pro golf, doesn't watch a ton of golf anymore. It's like, is Scotty long? I'm like, yeah, he's six four, lanky. His arc is big, and he carries it two ninety to two ninety five. Like, he's a he's a long hitter. So it's it's rare that you see a guy who isn't long these days. Well, I guess what the way I look at it, and I, I think I've learned this from you, is if a par seventy, I normally would think Russell Henley, Shoffley, um, Hideki, ball strikers, right? But par 70 really just means you've taken out the par fives. Everybody on the tour is good at par fives. So now those long par fours, that's where your length comes in. And, and normally with the U.S. Open, that's where accuracy off of the tee comes in. I, I, that was the only thing I didn't love about this. I loved the, you know, what they have, the 81-yard par three. I love that. I love a short par four where they had guys and it was punitive to basically go for it. Mm-hmm. And I, I did like that. I like those different types of strategy that they did. Um, but I I want to go back to the work backwards as well, because I thought Ricky Fowler, if you just look at it, you go, oh, he had a he shot a 75. He choked on Sunday. He, he didn't get it done. I, I thought he played. Obviously, he turned in the best round in the history of the, of the Open with a 62, him and uh, the X-Man on Thursday. And you're looking at that and the way that he's playing. And he he's been balling this year. And I don't know if you can speak to this, but like he lost it for a minute. I mean, it's fairly remarkable that he's gotten back into the form that he has this season. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's and he went. We're not talking enough about that. We'll talk about the seventy-five, right? We won't talk enough about that. He's been able to refine his his game. Well, just to you know, from going being outside of the majors now to to looking in or being on the outside looking in on the majors for a year or two. and now he's going to be in a bunch of majors and has got his world ranking back and all that stuff. Um, yeah, he, he did lose it and he had to go to the golf whisperer, Bush, Butch Harmon. And they seem like they've put together a pretty good plan and a different golf swing, uh, especially at the top said, said he was super laid off for a long time and, and he got his turn back and clubs pointed in the right direction. Um, it's easy to lose confidence, man, especially when you're, I, I don't know what it's like to be a, such a fan favorite like Ricky Fowler is, but I'm sure at some point you think the, the popularity is outpacing your, your actual game. And that probably doesn't feel very good. And, and I would think that he feels some kind of a, a heavier responsibility than most to play well. A lot of the time um, I said it on Thursday and, and it was true after his round on Saturday, last guy signing autographs in the dark, he finished in the dark. And before he goes in the media center, he signs like 
one or 200 autographs yeah. uh, for the fan. He's, he's just that guy. It's what he does. Super good guy. Um, it's good. You know, another guy who it's good to have him at the top of the leaderboard. There's a ton of guys who are, it's good for golf and for fans and for TV watchers to have at the top of the leaderboard. And yesterday was a pretty good indication of that. Scheffler, the robot ball striking wise, Rory, probably the most popular player. Um, the guy who probably moves the needle more than anyone outside of Tiger Woods. And, and then Ricky Green, probably the most talented. It's yep. the putter with, yep. with Rory that. And then Ricky Fowler. Needs it. And then Ricky Fowler kind of making his resurgence. And then, of course, the guy who spoiled it all, uh, but who played the best for, for four days, Wyndham Clark. I thought the club twirl oh, on 18 on yes. Saturday is an so all time club <laughs> twirl. <laughs> and for it, to, I think it nudged the flag a little bit it too. Did. Yeah. That, that you knew he was on and that he. He said he wanted to play cocky on Sunday, and yeah. that was kind of it. Kind of ran over from the last hole on Saturday. What a what a moment that from, was! Yeah, and and what a contrast with Ricky missing the putt on eighteen. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here going, I'm a I'm a believer in signs, and I'm looking at that, and I'm going, he's not going to win tomorrow. He'll probably lose by a stroke, and you know he 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 fell apart a little bit there. But the truth of the matter is, that's a tough way. Even though you're sleeping on the lead, that's a tough way to walk off the course to miss a to miss a putt like that even though he had the if i'm his caddy i'm telling him hey man the 69 footer that you hit that's just the golf gods telling you you got one we took one away what's up next what's up next everybody had a great father's day and hopefully that included some time on the grill i know i did and i know i get all of my meats from the butcher's market you should too. Go check them out at thebutchersmarkets.com. They have locations in Cary, Raleigh, Holly Springs, and Bedford Village. You cannot go wrong at the Butcher's Market. They'll even help you out because right now they have the Steak of the Month membership. You get a one steak, fresh, never frozen, each month. Okay, the first steak in July is a 24-ounce T-bone. You will do not want to miss out on this. Do yourself a favor. Go over to thebutchersmarkets.com and sign up for that steak of the month. Maybe you didn't get dad a gift yesterday, or maybe you forgot, or maybe he didn't like the one you got him. I guarantee you he will like his gift from the butcher's market. School's out, so it's officially summer road trip season, and you know who hooks you up better than anyone else for your road trips? Breeze Through, that's right. They have 17 locations throughout North Carolina. You're never too far away from a Breeze Through, fueling your next commute, road trip, tailgate, or any adventure. They're on Pool Road in Raleigh where you can go for before you go to a check out a show at Walnut Creek, they're also in Cary, Apex, Smithfield, Garner. Of course, you know the one over by PNC Arena. They're in Pittsburgh, Hillsboro. Heck, if you're going to the mountains, they got spots in Lenore and Blowing Rock. So the Breeze Through crew has you covered no matter where your summer plans take you. Next topic, please. I want to ask you about putting because you are the only professional golfer I've ever played, been fortunate enough to play golf with. And you're an amazing – the way that you putt is completely different than anything I've ever seen as an amateur, as a as a hack, because you take so much time to do it. You, you, you read the greens. You understand the greens. You and I, the first time we played was at Riverwood. You had never played there before. And by, like, the third hole, you knew exactly what was going on. And I was just – I'm still kind of sort of in awe of it. Um, but if you could try to explain – to the listener, the difference between, uh, you know, an idiot like me 
and a professional like you and how you go about and how, you know, the guys on the tour go about actually learning to read greens and actually having your routine and how much do you listen to your caddy and how much is it that you, you know, is it from the practice rounds and is it tough in a tournament like this where they haven't really had access to this course? It, it would be tough uh, at a venue like this where nobody's been and in an event where they're not shy to speed up and slow down the greens, depending on kind of the weather, you know, they talked about that Marine layer, which gives moisture. They would like for the greens to have been faster probably, but we talked on Thursday, if it gets to that edge and then it, they dry out and there's no Marine layer and the sun bakes them out, all of a sudden you've got a disaster on your hands. So uh, there was some, stuff on the rule sheet or the USGA um, notice to competitors where it said, be prepared for some greens to be faster than others. Uh, Which I got to imagine is not something you ever want to see. You don't want to see as a player because you, you want consistency, but you have to be able to adapt. Uh, Golfers can whine about that kind of stuff, but it doesn't change anything. Um, uh, To your point about putting, it's so much about confidence. It's so much about, Ricky missing on 18 on Saturday and not letting it affect him into Sunday. I thought he putted okay yesterday. I didn't think he missed. I don't remember him missing any putts that he definitely should have made. His speed, he's always an aggressive putter. That's why he lipped out on 18 on Saturday. He runs him by three and a half, four feet. Um, you're talking to a below average professional player putter by the way <laughs> so it, maybe my routine routine is above average um and maybe i putted well that day that i played at riverwood with you but it, it's all about maintaining uh consistency you always want to hit it the correct speed and i think that's where the professional game is far outpaces the amateur game is the speed that you roll it at every single time you don't you don't see the 12 footer that rolls by six feet and then of course you miss the comeback or right um, how many, how many put Rory speed Rory putted really well yesterday. I thought besides See, that, that's where, that's where this conversation was going was yeah. to Rory, because it just feels like if he could certainly the open last year, this U S open feels like he could have two more majors with just what two or three, two or three made putts. Right. And I, I think he said it best. It felt like St. Andrews all over again. Yes. He, he hit a ton of good putts. They were from such a distance that you can't expect to make those. Now the one on eight, he missed about a four footer. That was a bad putt. That was pretty much his only bad putt of the day, but every single birdie putt that he had yesterday, barely missed hit the hole a few times. I mean, you can't honestly ask much more from that from 20 to 30 to 40 feet. He just never got anything close. He didn't play the par fives. Well, he 14 to hit it in the rough, have to lay up, then miss the green with the wedge, got an extremely favorable drop which was fine. It's under the rules, but then he didn't get up and down. And that was, that was the tournament right there. Two shot swing uh, to make it. I think at the time it was either three or a four stroke difference. Hard to make that up in the last four holes. Uh, But he hits it so well tee to green, like you said, that another major to me is an inevitability. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about Rory because I want to feel like where, how should we evaluate Rory? Because he's 34 now. He has four majors, but I'm going, to, I'm going to say something that's going to make your professional ears burn a little bit. He hasn't won one since 2014. Oh, my gosh, what a failure. Uh, but some stats that you you actually gave me, so I'll point to the passer. Use the yellow pad here. Top 10 in 19 of his last 33 majors. 
and top eight and six of the past seven. That's kind of sort of ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's a great level of consistency, and I'll, I won't uh, steal it. It's from the guy at No Laying Up, Kevin Van Valkenburg. He said, it's kind of fascinating that, that we save our strongest criticisms for the guy who finishes second instead of the guys who finish fifth or eighth or 20th. Rory had a great week. He beat 154 players. Yeah. He just he just happened not to beat Wyndham Clark, and he had a really good chance of doing it. I I struggle to see a guy who finishes second unless he absolutely chokes coming down the stretch as as a failure. Like he'll he will he'll see it as a failure. He'll he'll say here we right. go again. Well, that's his standard. Yeah. Right. But my gosh, like the guy is consistently in there. Like how does John Rom feel? backdooring a what do you finish 11th or something like that with a 65 on Sunday like shouldn't Rory feel better than him beating him by I believe six strokes I I would feel better than him but we have this crushing pessimism about a guy who you know he's had a lot of pressure on him for the last year and a half yeah and I think this week he kind of just sat back and said i'm not doing this anymore like i'm not going to be the face he turned down a bunch of media requests played practice rounds on his own and he played great so i think that might be the blueprint for him going forward and it, it's so hard to think that he won't get another one or two or three majors he's just playing way too well for that to not happen I've seen him since I've really started gambling on golf in the last three years i think switch putter heads <laughs> two or three different times as a pro, what at what point do you switch the putter head or switch the putter? I was always very, I just need a different look for a day or two. And then I always used to go back to my old faithful, like a Scotty camera, Newport head, same thing every time. Uh, different color, maybe different feel in the head and the face, whatever. Uh, but I was always very hesitant to change. Rory has done a lot of changing the last couple of years. I remember the big deal going back to the, is it the Nike putter? Yeah. For a while, it didn't last very long. Um, I he's think got like it, a mallet now that he's yeah, it, it, fiddling with. You know, who knows what they do in their off time? He may have spent, you know, 100 hours with that thing before putting it in play. I'm not sure. Um, but Did you have a rule for that? I, I didn't have a rule. I was, okay. again, you're talking to a, a below tour average. Well, I just met any, putter. any club, any club. Yeah. Did you have a rule like, okay, I need to play 10 rounds with this before I'll actually play no. in a tournament or would no. it be, you're trying to change the mojo. You want to play better. You hit this club good on the seventh hole, you know, whatever or on the range and, and you'll use it. Yeah, no, it would be, it could go in starting on Monday of, the, of an event. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've got no problem with that um, because you know, ball striking was typically not an issue. So it was just being on the green, being comfortable. If I was comfortable with whatever putter I put in play, great. Um, I, I imagine the guys at the top have a little bit more thorough process than I did. And again, I think Rory was, was he leading the field in putting the, the first three days or very close to it? Like it was, he was putting very well. He was above, you know, positive strokes gained at least. And he just turned in a day where he hit, 15 or 16 greens yesterday but they happen to be yeah. pretty far away from the hole it like you can't just... expect you can't expect them to make the putts on 16 or 17 or 18 like these are 40 footers these are 10 to 15 percent like one in 10 chance like those are ones that you're just trying to get close 
and 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 tap in. Like you, you got to hit the shot like Scheffler did on 18 to at least have a chance. And he wasn't able to do that. And again, the average proximity from 180 yards is about where he hit it, 40 to 45 feet uh, on 18 for McElroy. So it's like he didn't he didn't fail. He just didn't beat one guy. Scheffler's veering into Jordan Spieth territory oh, where man. he'll just chip things in or hit him out from 190 out. And you're like, well, you know, this works a lot better when I don't have to use the putter. If, if, if I can't make putts, he's, I might as well just keep chipping in. He's he's a, in my opinion, watching him putts a little different than McElroy yesterday. It seemed like he had a lot more makeable putts and sometimes they do look like bad putts to me, but man, he has so many chances that our, our viewing numbers of how many makeable putts he has are more than the average player. And again, these putts, like you have to understand that seven and a half feet is 50% to our average. So from 15 feet, it's about 25%. So one in four he's supposed to make. And yet if you watch two, he misses both. You're thinking he's putting poorly. It's, it's a tough, when you're a great ball striker, you have to be so patient with the putter because it just feels like you're missing out on so many opportunities. And I'm sure he feels that way uh, this morning, but he keeps finishing second, third, fourth and majors. He's going to be just fine too. He hits it so good. He's on the same plane with McElroy right now in terms of the ball striking. And it's just a, you know, one week where they either get a huge lead or they may be lurking in seventh or eighth and shoot 64. And all of a sudden they win. Uh, I, I, it's hard. It is hard. I don't know. I'd like your opinion on this. If they get into a battle and they're second, third, fourth place going into the last round, can they putt their way to victory? Cause you can't, it's hard to shoot. Like they both shot 70 yesterday. Mm-hmm. So did Wyndham Clark. Like guys are really good on the PGA tour, depending not, doesn't matter your world rank, like whether you're 50th or a hundredth, whatever Wyndham Clark was starting yesterday. Like there's going to be guys going to play well. And if you're not leading, and you don't putt well for the day, you're not going to win. Yeah, I I look at yesterday, and I just think, I don't know how you do it, seriously, as a pro. Because <laughs> uh, the difference, the the one shot, I like, now you're going to, I would run through all four rounds and be like, man, if I just, you know, hit this drive on three, a little bit to the left, then I would have had a better approach. Like, I I could not mentally square what a professional golfer has to do on a weekly basis, never mind in a major. I, I did want to ask you about uh, Live and the future of the PGA because we've talked, we talked last summer about Live breaking off and we talked about, you know, the sports washing, which I get it. That's all part of it with the world. Um, I, I just didn't like the fact that the golfers were leaving a situation and going to a, something that is less competitive when you're playing fewer events and fewer holes. I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying that and leaving what to, in my opinion is the better competition and also the perspective of history, right? Like what are we without our history? So like do 20 live wins equal one PGA win? We don't know. We'll never know because my guess is we're not going to see whatever we we think of live was supposed to be i'm sure it'll exist in some sort of like one-off events maybe once every two months maybe they'll have like maybe they'll have their own live majors i don't know what they're gonna do uh but we talked about that and and i didn't like it i didn't like some of my favorite golfers leaving and i and i understood the financial 
aspect of it. It wasn't my decision to make. I did appreciate Harold Varner's honesty when he said this is generational wealth. And I, I sorry, I'm not turning that down <laughs> based on principle. I'm going to take that money to do what I love to do. Because you mentioned Rory and you mentioned the burden that he's had to carry. And I think it has worn on him. And I do think he's the one who got done the dirtiest just because he he was the one who stood up and, and backed the PGA Tour in such a vocal and public way. You know, Justin Thomas, Will Zalatoris, you know, all these guys who, who did, I, I have empathy for. But I think Rory's the one I, I feel the worst for because he was the one front and center out there. And Jay Monahan goes behind his back and either made a deal or was told, here's the deal you're going to make. So I'm just kind of curious, where do you think this goes from here? Huh. Um, does anybody really know? But where do you think this goes from here? And how do you and I never thought there was other than Patrick Reed, because no one likes Patrick Reed. I never really thought there was really any animosity between the guys who left for live and the guys who stayed on the PJ Tour. I, I could be misreading that, but I, that's the way I took it. Um so just a couple thoughts there from you on where do you think maybe this thing goes and, and was the whole like, do you think that the whole you left for live and now you're my enemy? Like that wasn't a real thing, was it? Yeah, not a real thing. Um, it it was hard for me to square guys who I don't want to say not competitive anymore, but the the Lee Westwoods, Ian Poulters, Graham McDowell's, Sergio Garcia's guys who in a bottle, sure, they could compete in a certain week on the PGA Tour. But they're certainly not top 20, 30, 40 players anymore. It was hard for me to hear them speak out about just certain things about the PGA Tour. Like, the PGA Tour made everyone. Now, their skills certainly were part and parcel of that. But it just bothered me that the forum that they had used for 20 to 25 years would now suddenly be something that they would. And some of them did trash the PGA tour, uh, the DP world tour, the European tour, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and then they turned around and sued them. So to think that there wouldn't be any animosity on the business side from that was kind of, uh, I didn't quite understand that. Like you took the money. Then say that. Oh, yes. Which Varner did to his. Absolutely. You're credit. right. Go for it. Uh, but then to turn around and say, I should have the right to also play oh. your events and I'm going to sue you for it. Well, there's going to be some professional animosity from the business side of things. I, I think mostly guys are friends like the media would take, you know, Billy Horschel and Ian Poulter on the putting green at some of, a European event having a candid conversation, what it looked like. And they'd turn it into, you know, those stupid headlines where it says like goes off on and, and probably you don't have the audio. How do you know? Um, but where it goes from here, I have no idea. I didn't think the PGA tour would get caved in that fast. Um, as a, as an ex PGA tour player, I always thought, like nobody has more money than the PGA tour. Well, we found out uh, that there's a sovereign wealth fund that has uh, money that absolutely dwarfs them. Uh, and I think, you know, in the end they tried to play these elevated events with purses that were basically three X what they used to be with worse fields because you don't have Kepka 
and DJ and Bryson. And so all of a sudden the sponsors were most likely saying, where's my ROI on this? I'm not seeing an elevated ROI. I'm seeing less than I was previously. And I'm paying three times the amount for the purse. That doesn't make much sense. And, you know, as players, we've always talked about how much the PGA tour has in reserve. Well, I guess that goes fairly quickly when you're trying to defend yourself in court on multiple fronts uh, you and I should have been lawyers, I guess, in a previous, yeah. uh, in our next life, maybe we will be. Um, but where it goes from here, I think you're probably right. Um, I don't think live will go away, but in its current form, I don't think it'll be, you know, 14 events. Yeah. I think ultimately. I thought some uh, of the, like the, the one in Australia really was well-received. There's probably some other events that they can do like that, which I would, I would like to see. Again, I love Cam Smith. He's one of my favorite golfers. Harold Varner is one of my favorite golfers. Joaquin Neiman is one of my favorite golfers. Now, these are all guys, like to your point, when you're watching the Rocket Mortgage Classic, these are guys I want to see play. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, but I'm not, I have never watched the Live Tour, not out of like, oh my God, I, I hate, and, and Lefty, Phil Mickelson's one of my all time favorite golfers. Yeah. Um, but I don't, it's not that I didn't watch the Live out of some sort of protest. It was just, I, either I couldn't find it or I didn't find it compelling enough. It, right. Quite simply, and I would gamble on anything if we're being perfectly <laughs> honest right now. That's the truth. But I prefer I, I I think the PGA, what they did by elevating the events, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is basically what Greg Norman had wanted to do in the 90s. And what, what he ultimately was able to do with live in thinking, oh, I can create eight events. Well, but you can't create eight events out of thin air and think there's a history to it or think that right. people are going to care about it. And I think that's where. The PGA was smart to adjust the way that they did. I don't love what they did here, but money always talks. Always. Yeah. I the think rest they were walks. just, you know yeah, I mean? they were, they were running out of, out of money. And uh, Monaghan most likely just saw the end of the runway coming up quickly. Uh, who knows? I never answered your question. Uh, did Rory get done dirty? I guess, but I hesitate. You to, don't think? Well, Things change, and I, I I always hesitate to put a pro golfer who is at his core selfish and not in a negative way, like you're always looking out for yourself. Uh, the PGA Tour is an organization of 250 to 400 members. I don't know how many there are. And in some way, you're supposed to be looking out for every single one of them. And this has become such a a hierarchy when you're talking about live versus PGA tour and what happened with the PGA tour was they had to cater to Rory and JT and Spieth and John Rom. So they didn't leave that. It kind of left everyone not out in the dust, but it's like, I don't want Rory McIlroy making decisions for a billion dollar business. Like that's not his background. He's a, I'm sure he's a super smart guy and he's taking care of his own affairs in a great way. But Again, a player is going to look out for himself first and foremost. I want people looking out for the whole organization. And they did, I don't want to say they failed because I think this was eventually, in retrospect, doomed to fail anyway. The PGA Tour versus Live. I never thought of it that way at the beginning. I was wrong. Um, But I just, if these guys are compensated, then I think in the end, a year and a half of being put out in front of the media 
goes away and that those hard feelings or potential hard feelings go away because they did make a decision kind of in the best interest of the PGA tour to stay. And I think they should be commended first and then compensated second. I don't know how that's going to happen. It's so much up in the air. Yeah. Like is the PGA tour going to be owned by Saudi Arabia? Like I don't understand anyone who thinks that's a good thing. Like if, if Vladimir Putin came in and said, Hey, I own the NHL now. Is that good? Well, it's not good. Of course it's not. You don't want a professional sport owned by a country, much less a couple of countries that are probably not the best countries in the world. Any country shouldn't own a professional sport. Like a government. This is the right. government of Saudi Arabia owning a professional sport. That's probably not a good thing. Next topic, please. We're talking a lot about golf. You know they make golf carts? Yeah, Weston has those too. Tiger Woods is pretty big, but... If you have any valuable cards, the best way to sell them is to get them graded. And Weston at Oak City Sports Cards can help you do that. To get the best value for your card, you have to get them graded. And if you're like me, I had a couple of Michael Jordan rookie cards. I had a LeBron autograph. I had a Derek Jeter rookie card. Took them all to Weston. He helped me get them graded. He helped me get the maximum value for them. You can buy, sell, trade, anything. You name it. Weston does it. Go check them out. Downtown Raleigh. Right off of Glenwood Avenue. Can't miss them. Great spot. Weston is the guy for you. Can help you get the best value and get you the best deal for your cards. Again, check them out at oakcitycards.com. I don't know about you, but I spent most of Sunday outside. Made a big cookout for my son James and his graduation. Again, congrats to the class of 23. And you know why we were able to be outside and be comfortable? Mosquito Authority, Pest Authority. Go check them out. Hayes Lancaster and his crew, they're going to take care of all of your needs. And when I say all of them, I mean all of them. I'm talking about bugs outside. I'm talking about bugs inside. I'm talking about moisture under your house. I'm talking about mice in the attic. You name it. And the Mosquito Authority, Pest Authority can handle it. You can do this old school. You can call 919-807-1951. That's 919-807-1951. Check them out online at bugsbite.com or they're on the Twitters. No Mosquito NC. Mosquito Authority, Pest Authority, been with us from the jump. They're our guys. They'll take care of you. This I know. All right. This is really easy. You have questions. We have answers. And since going to the podcast form, I've actually been using real Hey Joe questions. I know. I know. It's hard to believe that I, I at one point would fake my own content for my own show. I know. Weird. Uh, but I always looked at it, Brad, like I have better questions than you people do. <laughs> You're not supposed to say that out loud. Humbly. <laughs> so, but Joe Obvious, who'll be on vacation this week, he'll be back next week, has taught me that it's okay. It's a segment. Let the people be involved, Joe. It's not a big deal. So put out the uh, Hey Joe alert this morning, told people you will be with me again today. So let's, without further ado, and I still don't know how to pull them up on the screen, so pardon me while I read to Brad, and I think Brad has them in front of him too, but we'll do this and we'll make it work because that's what we do here on the fly. All right, so the first question, Brad, is from Chris in Raleigh. He asks, will Rory ever win again? <laughs> I, I think he might mean a major, but um, it, it's been, uh, yeah, he won the Canadian Open last year. That was his only win on the tour last year, right? I think so. Uh, I don't know, but he he won the Canadian Open two uh, twice in a row. I know mm -hmm. that. I guess that was before the pandemic and then after the pandemic. Yes. Um. But yeah, of course he'll win again. 
and and will he win a major again? I I believe he will. Yeah, he's just too close not to. I don't know how he doesn't win the Masters. The the setup of that course is absolutely perfect for his game and is the one major that is missing from his career Grand Slam. So I, I will say yes, obviously. And I think Chris is asking this tongue in cheek, of course. Before you um, move on from yeah. from that question, just look how many times a cut would have been the shot to hit. Not that everyone works it both ways. It's not everyone's forte. But how many times a left to right shot would have helped, especially on 18? He tried to, couldn't quite pull it off. I think he was hitting eight iron. Um, the cut would have been perfect on the par five, 14 off the tee. I uh, double crossed it on 16 and it ended up on the other fairway. Or no, that was 17. Sorry. Double crossed it, turned it over left, hit a tree, went, went in the other fairway. He was able to get it close to the green. But. That's just his thing, I think, at Augusta. Augusta's greens are so difficult and segmented that if you just hit one shot, it's harder to win there. And if you don't putt really, really well, and what did he just not do? Right. He didn't, he didn't make a bunch of putts. Uh, it just becomes very difficult, especially at Augusta. Well, look at my amateur brain thinking that Rory's length and distance <laughs> And driving acumen would equal something at well, no, I mean, Augusta. No, I'm no, I'm being serious. Yeah, That's no, a very no, elevated know. point. You know, it was a yeah. very sophisticated point. It that we've you just, just made. we we've come so far from the Tiger of '97 hitting wedges into par fives, and he was the yeah. only one that could do it. Yeah, not everyone is as long as Rory, but there's a ton of guys who are within ten yards of him. Right. I guess exactly. that's my kind of final point. No, that's a good one. All right, next one is from I am the Gumi. Hey Joe. Is golf also a gotta make shots sport at its core? That is so funny, Gumi, because when I was <laughs> driving good. in today, I, and if you're not familiar with what Gumi's reference is, this is a Sydney Lowe reference that you gotta make shots. Anytime State during his tenure would lose, invariably we would get gotta make shots. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, uh, big shouts to Sid. He is he is now the world's leading golf expert and hockey expert because his hockey analysis is your best players have to be your best players which is also true so yes i i think we can absolutely chalk this up to another sydney low expertise that you've got to make shots especially rory with the birdies right like because yep. the open it was he had the round where he just couldn't birdie and camp smith is just plowing them down mm -hmm. and in the open last year and then this year this u.s open not the same because Wyndham was just kind of keeping pace but he obviously had the advantage that he had but it was like yeah, just one. That's the part that I I would just, I'm telling you, man, I would struggle so much with where, yeah, where were, do you find that one shot, right? Right, because he birdied one, didn't make a birdie the rest of the day. There were a couple par fives he could have. There was number six, that short par four that he could have, where he drove it just in the rough to the right of the green and didn't really have a great um, great lie, hard to chip it close. But find one, and like you said, he'll look back on it like you would <laughs> maybe not as intensely as you would, but um, he had to find one birdie and he just couldn't, which uh, I, why did I think that got to make shots was a Roy Williams reference? Roy's reference is uh, everything looks better when the ball goes in the basket. That, okay. That's one All of right. his things right. when they yeah. win <laughs> and they'll score a hundred points and people will be like, well, what did you guys do? Yeah. Why were you so good? And he'll be like, everything looks better when the ball goes in the basket. So got to make shots is Sid. But 
Um, all right, let's go to our next one. We got a few more golf ones here. Uh, this is from Carillon 99. Make sure I'm saying that right. Carolini, maybe 99. What are your thoughts about the U.S. Open in the 18th hole where they let the crowd surround the final putts? At home, it felt very uncomfortable. Is this good or is this bad? All right, as a, as a, I want Brad as the pro. Are you okay with people crowding the green on the last hole to get a closer look and, and I guess, feel more like they're at an event? Uh, number one, the 18th hole was way too wide. Wyndham Clark hit a poor tee ball and it stayed in the fairway, which kind of stunk. You know, it was 59 yards wide. Yeah. Uh, as far as the, the crowd coming up on the fairway, if you remember when Tiger won at Eastlake, the F- FedEx Cup final event, they did that. Uh, British Open does it all the time. Yeah. And it's more controlled. The people there have, may we say, a little more decorum, maybe, for the most part. Or, or the security is <laughs> used the home to of doing golf? it. At the home of golf? Right. Yeah. Okay. Security there is used to doing it. The crowds are used to doing it. This felt a little, oh, my God, we can do this. And it looked a little chaotic. And the look on uh, Clark and Fowler's faces were was, I don't know if they were uneasy, but they may have been a little bit surprised. Um, I think it's fine. It didn't devolve into any players getting tackled like last week at the Canadian Open. Um, I think it worked out fine. It just looked a little bit chaotic at the beginning. Um, hopefully, you never see anything bad go down. But I, I, I think it's, I think it's fine, and it, it added to it in my opinion because if you took a, you know, if you took the forty thousand foot view of the green from above, it's like looked like there was nobody there. So that definitely added to it to push, you know, a couple thousand people in front of the green. Just it was such a small U.S. Open. It just felt very odd. And the comments online were definitely indicative of that. Yeah, I, I don't dislike it. Um, I didn't. Uh, the PGA at Kiowa, that felt uncomfortable to me, particularly when Brooks oh, was competing yeah. and still had a it, chance. And it was like he had to get through, get through the crowd. Yeah. I, I don't like that. Uh, I'm with you. I think they're probably more used to it at the. I don't know why I keep calling it the open, the British open. Um, well, I'm like brainwashed over. They here. would love to have you call it the open championship. I, I know. I know it's the thing, but it's yeah. the British open. When I was growing up, it was the British yep. open. And all Me of a sudden too. we got to call it something else. Um, I think you're right, but I l- listen, I'm also old enough to remember Monica Sellis getting stabbed. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I don't love all of these things for you, the athlete. I, I want the fans to enjoy i want them to feel a part of it but i do think they're there and there's certainly some decorum there in itself by being on the golf course i mean you're only separated by the you know the grandstand or whatever it is anyway or sometimes just a rope um but yeah in, in this one it kind of felt fake too because this was not a tournament for the fans right, right. like this this yeah. was a uh i hope i hope the usga never goes back there and I know they will. I know they will. They will make me a happy fan again next year when we're in Pinehurst, and I cannot wait. Uh, and we will be there. The o, the OG will be there. Hopefully, my man Brad will be with me too. Um, but the truth of the matter is, you know, I, I thought I thought it was a mistake playing there, and um, I, I I just hope they don't they don't go back. The Riviera is fine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> play your play your events in California. I like the events in California, but they're supposed the to go there in twenty thirty nine. They are. Um, yeah. Oh, like the USGA makes them so far ahead of time. Oh, uh, hopefully there's lessons learned. I think they said Charlie Woods will be 30 at that time. Uh, <laughs> of course. 
of course i did i did see a few uh fan shots crowd shots where they they were including charlie so all right let's before we get to one football question great question from zach pool hey joe can the bathing suit industry stop including liners it is a waste of fabric it is completely uncomfortable I have a confession here. I cut out the liners in my mm-hmm. bathing suits. My son has to as well. Irritates uh, certain parts of him that do not Shouldn't need be to be irritated. irritated. That's right. Yeah. I've had yeah. board shorts for a long time that have no liner. And that's my only, my drives my wife nuts. They go past my knees and my wife hates them. And I've had them for 10 years. And why would I buy more than one bathing suit? What's right. the point? <laughs> I feel like I do end up getting a new bathing suit every summer. Costco makes it way too easy, but yes, the first thing I do is cut the liner out. That's a that's an all-time mm-hmm. AJO question. All right, and let's end this with a question about UNC football from Gene. How many wins do you see for Carolina football this fall? All right, Brad, you are a self-professed Carolina fan. They have South Carolina in Charlotte to open the season, so that that's not a layup, obviously. App State at home, not a layup, obviously. Let's just find the layups. They play Minnesota here, not a layup. Pitt, Syracuse, Miami, Virginia is going to be terrible. There's one win. Georgia Tech's not going to be good. That's two. (laughs) Campbell, three. Hey. I I got three definites. Ones they're not going to win. Um, I mean, you can only definitively say they're probably not going to beat Clemson at Clemson. So So there's eight. 50 50s go four and four in those maybe five and three let's give drake five and three so eight and four is eight and four sound right yeah i'm consistently disappointed mostly by carolina football honestly i thought sure. this was a panthers question uh, uh-huh. when I saw but um <laughs> i think nine w- wins would be a victory for the program which is not great when you consider that you've got a top three quarterback in the country sure but their schedule center. is no joke here. i know but you're supposed to be able to elevate you know we all i hear about from my carolina friends is how good recruiting classes are on sure. both and sides. they have been they have been rated football. very well so where is the success that's supposed to come from that well i think 80 percent of those recruits left though by now but they were all on the defensive side of the ball the thing i did like about what carolina did this year in particular was is the, is the thing that nc state should have done last year if when you have a Devin Leary, when you have an established quarterback and you know you have turnover at receiver, you're losing Josh Downs to the NFL, you got to go into the portal and get guys. Mm-hmm. That's what Carolina did. They got two receivers who I think are really going to help them. And while you're, I'm sitting here, maybe you say, well, eight and four doesn't sound that great, Joe. I, I just think that's a product of their schedule. I don't, I don't think that's a product of anything else, right? Like nine and three is probably a really good year. But and I, th- I, I think they'll be preseason be- top 25. If you want to be good, you're supposed to beat South Carolina. Sure. Like they're an but SEC South team. Feeling the but same thing though. They're just they're just fine. Like you're supposed to beat them if you have a great quarterback under center, which they do. I don't know. I'm consistently same underwhelmed by the coaching staff at Carolina, unfortunately. Well, they, they have some new pieces over there. They have some new parts. And I do believe in Drake May. I do believe in what they've done in the portal. The big and, and their defense will be fine. You know, they, lo- they lost a lot of guys on defense, and I get it. Some people were not real pleased with that because that's where the recruiting success had been. But the truth of the matter is they weren't good on defense last year. Correct. So you, if you hit a reset <laughs> like this and you have players, and and I do believe in Gene Chizik, 
I think they'll be just fine on defense. They'll be better than they probably were last year. Okay. But I, I look at their offense and the, the biggest thing for them has been their offensive line going back to Sam Howell, his last year, that was the big question that year. And then last year, again, their offense would hum and click along. But then when, you know, it came down to the, came down to push and shove, they weren't able to protect him and they weren't able to run the football the way that they need to run the football. So that all starts up front. And quite frankly, it's the same question I have for NC State this year. That's my primary concern for NC State this year as well, is, is what will their offensive line do? But yeah, I mean, Carolina's schedule is, you know, I, I'm, I'm quick to tell you when it's really, really easy. And I don't think this is a byproduct of the new division list, although, of course, Clemson being on there is certainly a welcome change for NC State fans who enjoy, you know, everyone else having to live their misery. <laughs> uh, I think Pitt will be good. They play Pitt, Syracuse. They should beat Syracuse. It's here. Miami, who the hell knows of Miami, although they seem to have Miami's number. Uh, Virginia, like I said, is going to stink. Georgia Tech's going to fight, but they're they're not talented. And they're not – Duke's the big wild card to me. I actually think Duke – it's so hard to repeat what they did last year because it's easy to go from not good to good. Easy. It's really hard to go from good to great. Really, really, really hard. Um, so they're going to, Duke's going to have a tough time repeating that, but I love Mike Elko's team. Uh, yeah. I mean, the way that they, their offense last year, they have a real chance. They, they scheme was... some guys up, they scheme some guys open. Their defense isn't great, but their offense, I, I w- could not have been more impressed with what they did schematically on offense last year. I thought uh, they hung on to David Cutcliffe a year or two or maybe three yeah. too long, but and he they, earned it. He they sure it. did. They sure did hit a home run with Mike Alco though. That was yeah. coming in and doing what he did was, uh, was very amazing. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really was flat out. Amazing. Yeah. He's uh he's a neighbor of one of my good friends and, and um, just I made mean, Duke basketball. Don't talk about them. Yeah. Duke Duke football, it's fun to have a local team that surpasses expectations. Even though the expectations were very low for Duke football, it's fun when football is important around here. The more football, I love football. And the more times you can talk about more than one or two programs in this area, the better, in my opinion. All right, Brad. Uh, I do have to mention the sponsor real quick because Oakwood Pizza Box is your sponsor for Hey Joe. You can order online, oakwoodpizzabox.com, or go see Anthony in person on Person Street, right across from the world-famous Krispy Kreme in downtown Raleigh. But now, oh, you have well, you have a Hey Joe question for I me. Have but a I have a Hey wanted, Joe question. I wanted to give you a quick Red Rooster plug, please, oh. while, while you're here, to thank you for your services. You want me to talk about my own company? Okay. I do. <laughs> uh, visit redroostergolf.com for all your golf glove needs and various golf accessories. Uh, we're breaking out some new stitch golf bags this week, limited Ooh. number, but they are, they're, they're a nice fit because stitch is in apex and we're in Holly Springs. So it's a, a quick drive to go get the bags that they made for us. Uh, they're great walking bags and, uh, they made a bunch for us very quickly. And so visit redroostergolf.com, uh, to check it out. Wyndham Clark won $3.6 million for the U.S. Open Championship yesterday. If I had $3 million, I bet you the first thing I would do is go buy a house, maybe for my mom, maybe for your dad. Who knows? But I know this. Barry Woodard at Hometown Realty is the only option. Go check them out at myhdr.com. Residential, commercial, rental, you name it. Hometown Realty. They have more than 250 
agents, many of whom they are local to the area. And rest assured, you will get the best home buying and selling experience imaginable. They have six locations, Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Selma, and Atlantic Beach. Go check them out at myhtr.com. And if you need help closing on the house, well, that's where Whitaker and Hamer come in. That's the law firm, Whitaker and Hamer. They have more than 20 years of experience. They have offices in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Fuquay, Gastonia, Moorhead City, Goldsboro. You name it, Josh Whitaker, Joe Hamer can handle it. Starting a business, selling a business, anything with family law, real estate closings, or buying a house. Josh and Joe can help you out. Real easy to find them. WH.lawyer. That's WH.lawyer. Or you can give them a call, 919-772-7000. Well, maybe you're not just taking a trip to the beach. Maybe you live at the beach. If you're in Wilmington, check out Jim Roberts' Network for Entrepreneurs in Wilmington. It's newilm.com. That's newilm.com. Jim started an entrepreneur support group organization to create better startups, which in turn creates better jobs and a better economy in Wilmington. New was named the number one startup ecosystem in the country for cities with fewer than 300,000 people. That's the Network for Entrepreneurs in Wilmington, where the river of innovation meets an ocean of possibilities. Now, I have a Hey Joe question. Okay, let's uh, end this properly then with a Hey Joe question for me. BetOnline.ag tweeted oh, no. on June 16th, we are proud to be the first sports book to offer betting odds on the Special Olympics. Hey Joe, would you bet on the Special Olympics? If I had knowledge, <laughs> probably. Yeah, I probably would. I have bet on the Pro Bowl. I have bet on uh, the Senior Bowl. I've bet on Nicaraguan basketball. I've bet on volleyball, Russian volleyball. <laughs> I have bet on Australian rules football. Uh, but I was I saw this and there was people like, okay, this, this actually came up in the Garner Gambling Group text. I like, okay, no one's gambling on in this group. You'll be kicked out well... if you gamble on the Special Olympics. And I'm like. Listen, I'm not going to like act like I have principles when it comes to gambling, but I would have no knowledge. Like I don't I I would not, you know, fastest. I don't know even know what events I would be I would be betting on, right? So I can't sit here and but I'm I'm not going to condemn anyone that's like Hey, and and I bet online said if there's an activity that people are competing in, you know, we're we're trying to treat people equally. So I do I do actually commend them. For that portion of this, I, th I think the intent is there to treat people equally. So that doesn't sure mean that, I will participate. You're sure their intent isn't to get that 10% off the top of any loss? It, it, it feels like a, a Rorschach test for gambling, right? <laughs> like, how desperate are you? Will you bet on, on the Special Olympics? And you know there are people, and especially if you win your first bet, which probably usually happens, that's how they get you. Man, did you know that was coming as soon as I said that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, okay. Again, it was a topic this week on the, oh, uh, okay. on the text thread. But I, I, I've, I'm trying to get better at limiting to futures. That's what I'm trying to get better at. Weeks like this do not help when mm. Shoffley doesn't win, when the homie doesn't make the cut, and I just didn't even have anybody in the hunt which is what makes it difficult. Um, but that's all part of it. So we'll see. Once this thing becomes legalized, we'll also see. I, I think I think people are not understanding how, you, you know, the benefits of, of illegal gambling compared to 
the restrictions of legal gambling. So <laughs> it's going to be an adjustment for me. All right, Brad, I appreciate you taking some time to talk a little golf on Thursday and again today. And maybe before the Wyndham Championship, we'll we'll have a chance maybe to go down to Sedgefield. I don't know. Maybe I can work a little bit of magic for us. Uh, I know a few people down there. That'd be fun. That was my only final group Sunday appearance on the PGA Tour. So five hours of feeling very, very uncomfortable. Um, and of course, the sleep the night before wasn't the best. Yeah. But uh, no, it was definitely a memorable, memorable experience. Who so, won? Yeah. Uh, Camilo Vijegas came from way back. I think he shot eight under the last day. I shot even par as I was wont to do um, in final rounds where I was close to the lead. A couple putts that. I thought I had great putts. They just didn't go in a couple bad breaks, but overall, like at the end, I think I finished eighth and I thought I played okay. You know, I played okay. It's hard to play well when you don't like Rory every week in the hunt, he's used to it. And he's also the most talented golfer in the world. Right. Or one of them. <laughs> I was just trying to keep my card. I'll tell you a quick story. I was on the 17th green. So 71st hole had about 15 feet and I just kind of, waiting for the other guy to putt nick watney i kind of turn look at the scoreboard it said brad fritch minus whatever projected fedex cup rank 151 and 151 is exactly one spot outside of any pga right. tour status and it's currently up to date i'm like oh my god don't tell me i hit the worst putt you could ever hit from that distance <laughs> it was so bad oh just the wrong time to see that exact uh, message yeah so i finished 151 not Back that to you the don't corn remember it or anything. I mean, no, it's not burned in my brain. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Finally, we find common ground in our golf games. That's Finally, we did it. it. One shot right, away, Brad. right, Joe? One shot away. One more. Just, yep. I just need that one. <laughs> Let's go find it. Appreciate you, man. We'll see okay. you guys on Wednesday.